and welcome back to Material World, the show where we dig into all the things you spend your money on. We're your hosts. I'm Jenny Kaplan. I cover all the things you drink and smoke for Bloomberg News. And I'm Lindsay Rupp. I cover the stores in the mall for Bloomberg. 2016 was quite a year. Zayn left One Direction, the UK voted to leave the European Union, and Angelina left Brad. And Donald Trump won the US presidential election. Yes, I'd say that was the biggest surprise of them all. So we were wondering, now that he's won, what does that mean for the world of retail in 2017? We decided to gather our colleagues together to discuss what the consumer landscape might look like. I'm Shannon Pettypiece, and I write about the big box discount retailers. Matt Townsend, cover retailers like Best Buy and big brands like Nike. Lauren Coleman-Lochner, I cover distressed retail and also consumer products companies. Stephanie Wong, I cover luxury brands and beauty companies like Estee Lauder, Coach, and Michael Kors. Craig Giamona, I cover packaged food companies and grocery stores. Matt, do you want to start? One of the things I'm looking at is fashion. Um, if you look back at history, sort of a, compare, a way to compare this to is when Reagan became president, um, it was a big shift away from Jimmy Carter. It was a Republican re- replacing a Democrat. And so if you look at 80s fashion, you know, obviously things went from you know, loose-fitting clothes and bell-bottoms and leisure suits and to very tight-fitting clothes in some respects, like there was power suits and Wall Street and greed is good. And so there was a lot of, you know, suspenders and bow ties, uh, a shift towards more proper attire. And then if you look at sort of casual uh, clothes, you know, you had neon, you had ripped jeans, you had ripped shirts, you had the spiky hair. So basically just fashion went nuts. It either went really conservative with, you know, sort of the Wall Street look, women in the workplace wearing shoulder pads and becoming more androgynous and masculine looking. And there's potential for that kind of thing to happen again with Trump and sort of a new era of conservatism taking over America or being a bigger influence. Um, So that's one of the things I'm looking at is, you know, do we see the shift? And if you look at the way women are dressing now, there already was a move away from tight-fitting clothes. We've talked about skinny jeans before. I think they're on their way out. This potentially could kill kill them off because women and fashion designers want to shift women's clothing away from sort of sexy, tight-fitting looks towards more loose-fitting looks as maybe a response to sort of the misogyny that Trump portrayed during the campaign. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account Only Rosie O'Donnell. I'm also wondering if in this anti-elite mode that uh, we learned that the country is in, if if there will be sort of a backlash um, against looking Wall Streety, but, you know, looking too affluent, maybe certain kinds of accessories or people would dress conservatively, but not necessarily want to be seen in um, suits to look like a regular, uh, not uh, not from the coastal uh, areas of the country person. I think what what I'm interested in um, the the Trump presidency is how that might uh, a closed economy might 
affect tourism as well. Um, there have already people talking about how that might make you know, tourists feel uncomfortable and unwelcome um, in the United States, so that could deter some of the tourists coming to the U.S. And uh, if that's the case, that can be um, quite worrying as well. And in the past few weeks, we already heard that Tiffany, how Tiffany's Fifth Avenue store has been uh, affected, how much tourists account for their total revenue, that's 10% of their worldwide avenue, uh, revenue. sorry. And um, so I think that uh, tourism is definitely a big uh, factor. Um, well, just to circle back to fashion for a minute, Melania Trump is a former model. Ivanka Trump has her own fashion brand. Donald Trump has his own apparel. Um, could that at all affect fashion, do you think? Or politics? Potentially. I mean, usually the way a president dresses doesn't have that big of an impact on fashion, with the exception of the Kennedys, which were very influential. Um, I mean, it could. I mean, the fact that Melania is going to be a very stylish uh first lady you know that could have an effect but i don't think the way they actually those the people in charge dress really matters it's just the overall feeling of the country um and just one other thing on fashion that i wanted to talk about that i'm also looking at is beards so (laughs) facial hair beards these really long beards that men are growing it's kind of been a trend for like three or four years now and you know one of the explanations for it that i've heard that makes a lot of sense is that it was a sort of reaction to, even if, it was, even, if, even if it was subconsciously, to the spread of feminism, right? And so this trend forecaster that I talked to a lot was telling me that he thought if Hillary got elected, the beard trend and sort of these outward presentations of masculinity would only increase because men, even if they're not, even liberal men, not necessarily just conservative men, would subconsciously kind of interpret that and you know put out more forms of masculinity but so now that Trump won and he's such an authoritative kind of masculine figure, maybe that trend kind of dies away and that men don't feel the need to be as overtly masculine in what they're wearing. You know, the, you know, the flannel thing's going to go away. The beard thing's going to go away. You know, wearing work boots all the time. I, you know, that could be one potential thing that could happen here, that because we have a commander in chief like Donald Trump, that men don't feel the need to be as Masculine, which has actually been an issue. So companies like P and G in the past have called out um, this whole, you know, hipster scruffy look as um, having impacted their sales of razors and associated products. Yeah, so, so it could be, a, be it could be a boon for the razor industry. Yeah, it does seem like an issue that might come up though for companies like P and G, as well as companies that all of us cover trade deals with NAFTA, with the TPP. I mean, I know that some of the beer companies, for example, that I cover and alcohol companies really rely on imports from places like Mexico and getting rid of NAFTA could be a really big issue for tequila makers and people who import things like Corona. You go to New England, you go to Ohio, Pennsylvania, you go anywhere you want, Secretary Clinton, and you will see devastation where manufacturing is down 30, 40, sometimes 50 percent. NAFTA is the worst trade deal maybe ever signed anywhere, but certainly ever signed in this country. And now 
you want to approve Trans-Pacific Partnership. You were totally in favor of it. Then you heard what I was saying, how bad it is, and you said, I can't win that debate. But you know that if you did win, you would approve that, and that will be almost as bad as NAFTA. Nothing will ever well, top NAFTA. Well, if there's retaliation, that's obviously a huge issue, right? If they're, you know, companies like P&G have half their business or more overseas. So you, you, need, you need to have those agreements in place. I think the general idea I've heard is restricting trade, making trade more expensive, would uh, increase the costs of a lot of goods. Um, there's been a lot of talk, like on Twitter and some of those social networks, about you know the cost of uh, sneakers going up. Um, almost every sneaker you buy is made overseas for the most part, with the exception of a few little brands. So consumers could be paying more for their Jordans. They could be paying more for any kind of apparel they wear, basically. Um, so that's one thing to look out for. I mean, the big sort of unwritten story about a lot of what's happened in America over the past 20 years is a lot of things have gotten cheaper because of deflation, especially in apparel and footwear, where because the costs of making it overseas has made it cheaper. So you can actually buy more shoes and clothes with less money. So that could, that could change under Trump. Lauren, what are you watching with your companies? One thing I'm watching with the consumer products companies is, you know, what is going to happen with regulatory environments. So we know that that Trump, you know, has said things like we should dismantle the EPA. Tremendous cuts. Department of Environmental Protection, where they're actually going around and causing damage as opposed to saving damage. Uh, tremendous amounts of money. Okay, so you're going to go with a cleaver fraud, through. Tremendous abuse. All right. Now. Oh, we're Let's, talking about tremendous amounts of money, Bill. We're talking about tremendous amounts okay. of money. Okay, and I believe and you if you were like the president. Taxes, I believe you if you were, you would, you take a cleaver to those things. I believe it. Let's go to I uh, would do Putin. Very well, people would be very happy. And you know, we have new laws. We have a new um, law that was updated this year. Um, you know, that governs uh, chemicals in commerce, and we. We know that there could be a real pushback um, in terms of uh, challenging existing regulations and giving companies um, more freedom in terms of what they sell, the ingredients that go into what they sell. I mean, there's not a lot of regulation currently for chemicals and consumer products and um, other you know, harmful um, substance, substances and consumer products. What I think we're going to see happen is that there's been a lot of push from um, the market to resolve consumer concerns. Uh, you know, there is a desire for organic, for natural. We're seeing companies like Beauty Counter come um, grow very quickly. And it's not just among, I think, the elites on the coast the stuff is not cheap, but I, you see Walmart has pushed. They came out this year with um, with several substances that they want their suppliers to ban from the products that they sell. They're trying to democratize this and make safer consumer products more affordable. And I think um, even if we do see a pushback against some of this regulation, we will see that issue resolved and, and addressed in the marketplace regardless. The idea that a Trump administration is going to be anti-regulation is also something that's impacting the 
uh, food and soda and kind of other kinds of nutrition industries. So, Craig, is that something that you've been looking at? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we don't know a ton about what this guy thinks about food policy. Food policy really was not a topic during the campaign at all. But what we do know is that he wants to take a hard look at regulations. I mean, I think at some point he said he wanted to roll back 70% of regulations. I mean, who knows where that all lands? I don't think food policy is near the top of his list. But there's been a lot of action on food policy in the last eight years. Michelle Obama made a focus on nutrition. You know, she did the exercise stuff, healthy school lunches. And there are specific things that were passed within the last six months that people feel like could be in jeopardy. There's a rule that would require all fast food restaurants to post calories on their menu boards. There's a rule that is going to require companies to put added sugars on their labels. These are big things that, you know, big, big changes that the industry fought to a certain extent. Um, that people think Trump could go after. I mean, I think the interesting thing, and it kind of speaks to what Lauren brought up about the marketplace, is that it's not really clear, you know, as far as the menu calorie boards, at the end of it, the industry was saying, well, we're fine with this because we want to avoid a patchwork of state and local laws. So we want, we welcome a federal solution. So, and the other thing is that customers are demanding more transparency. You know, there's a big number of customers out there that want to know what's in their food, they're reading labels, they're looking it up. So, you know, I think it would be somewhat risky for these big packaged food companies, the soda companies, to really come out vociferously fight these regulations because they think they have a friendly ear in the White House, um, because there are customers that want this stuff. You know, the other question, I think, for food, and there was a lot of talk after the election about the pollsters getting it wrong and sort of misunderstanding the country. And I guess I wonder about that, too. You know, we hear a lot about natural and organic, and every survey says more and more people want that stuff. But it's a big country out there. And I mean, I guess it remains to be seen. You know, these companies will tell you that that's where the market's going, that customers demand more organic stuff. But maybe that's not the case. You know, the country, as we know, is is pretty polarized. Um, so you're, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to watch how these companies both we're going to watch both how the government responds and then how these companies respond to the new regulatory atmosphere and also to customer demand. When it comes to things like food and beverages, I think at the bottom, you know, at the end of the day, what what these companies need and what people buy on is taste. And so I think that if government regulations are rolled back, we might see a real move away from the push towards healthier products. I think on one hand, consumers definitely are pushing for it, but it's a good question, Craig, whether that's all consumers or whether that's really just the people on the coasts. Right. I mean, there's no question that the first lady put pressure on these companies just by talking about this all the time. And, you know, it's just a fact of life that these corporations want to be in the good graces of the White House. And, you know, we don't know a ton, like I said, about where this is all headed for food policy, but the tone is going to change. I mean, we we don't expect Melania to kind of take up the mantle of nutrition. And Michelle had her garden at the White House. All that stuff matters. I mean, we've seen a great example of this play out recently with Kellogg. Um, Ads for Kellogg and a bunch of other brands were being served by a third-party vendor to the website Breitbart, which is, you know, it's a controversial website. Their ex-chairman, Steve Bannon, is closely tied to Trump. He's now the chief White House strategist. People started screenshotting pictures of Kellogg ads appearing on Breitbart, tweeting them out, and Kellogg said they're pulling the ads. So, I mean, I think this is something that would have not have been controversial before this election. They're, you know, the, they do edgy stuff on that website. Corporations try to stay away from that, but we see that there's a backlash against that. Now there's a boycott of Kellogg. So I do think we're running up against how sort of polarized the country is. And it's difficult because these brands want to avoid controversy at all costs. They want to sell to everyone. Breitbart readers eat cereal too. So 
Kellogg found itself in a very tricky spot by pulling those ads. And, you know, I think we're going to see sort of more of that because the country right now, obviously, very, very polarized. We've lost anywhere between four and seven million jobs because of China. What I said this, we have very unfair trade with China. We're going to have a trade deficit of $505 billion this year with China. A lot of that is because they devalue their currency. What I said to the New York Times is that we have great power, economic power over China. And if we wanted to use that, and the amount and where the 45 percent comes in, that would be the amount based on their devaluations that we should get, that we should get. What I'm saying is this. I'm not saying we do it. But if they don't start treating us fairly and stop devaluing and let their currency rise so that our companies can compete and we don't lose all of these millions of jobs that we're losing, I would certainly start taxing goods that come in from China. Who the hell has to lose $505 billion a year? I'm sorry, sir. Shannon, you covered the world's biggest retailer, Walmart, and, you know, the decisions that they make really have a wide-ranging impact, and I'm sure that they're watching Trump's proposed policies really closely. They relied on these really cheap products from overseas. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what you're seeing, what you're watching? Uh, well, the company hasn't come out and commented at all directly on the election. I mean, they actually, the CFO said it's really too early to tell what's going to happen. Um, but if you look at the rise of Walmart and this, you know, low price, race to the bottom pricing, uh, a lot of it is very tied to the trade agreements we made with China and Mexico through NAFTA and China entering the WTO. Walmart's rise is really directly correlated to China entering the WTO when you saw prices just fall to the bottom and Walmart was able to use their size and leverage to get those prices cheaper and cheaper and now there you know were fewer tariffs and restrictions placed on them. So, if those agreements are torn up, renegotiated, of course you'll have to see what they get replaced with, but if we're going to be imposing hefty tariffs on China, Mexico, um, you know, that's where a humongous chunk of Walmart's products come from. So you're not going to be seeing $5 t-shirts, you know, a $10 remote control car, you know, shoes you can throw away after a few months. You know, if there are tariffs on those items, they're going to go up in price. Um, Walmart's actually been working hard for years now to try and manufacture more products in America, and they've had some success, but the numbers are really just a drop in the bucket or really a drop in the ocean compared to the number of manufacturing jobs we've been losing, because oftentimes when things are made here, they're done so because they're automated, and they don't require the thousands of workers that we used to have. And so even if we do see manufacturing come back, the prices are going to either go up because we're paying people a lot of money, or it's not going to create jobs because it's been automated. You also cover Target, and I know that kind of going off what Craig was talking about, maybe not understanding what the whole country wants. Um, I know that Target faced some backlash after they came out about a political issue. Could you talk a little bit about that? So Target, maybe they were a, a early sign that, you know, America wasn't completely unified behind diversity and inclusion. Um, when Walmart came, or I'm sorry, Target came out and said that customers could use the bathroom of their choosing, basically saying that transgender people could, you know, a, a trans man, you know, living as a woman could use a woman's restroom. Uh, they faced a lot 
lot of backlash for that. Um, protests. Um, it was always really hard to tell if that was just a very small but really vocal group or how widespread it was. But Target eventually had to come to the decision where they would install uh, family restrooms in all of their stores, which cost them $20 million. It was something they said they were going to do anyway. But clearly, this pressure pushed them to do that. Now, um, I think that was a reminder to a lot of retailers that not everyone in America is all for these feelings on the East and West Coast of, you know, uh, diversity and LGBT issues and transgender issues, and that retailers might want to be quiet about that stuff for a little bit or close their mouth. You know, it's okay. You know, it's fine if you're not going to discriminate against customers or employees, but not everybody in this country is on board. And this was a reminder that, you know, almost 50% of the country is going to disagree with you if you're going to come out on a, you know, really strong liberal position. Um, I think there's some early indications that maybe companies are starting to rethink their marketing that maybe now might not be the best time to put a gay couple in your TV ad or, you know, maybe hold back a little bit on the, you know, interracial uh, couples. Um, I don't know if we've seen anything of that yet, but I get the sense that there's think they're thinking about whether they need to maybe tone down some of these messages after the election. It's interesting. A lot of the companies that I cover, especially alcohol companies, have been talking and soda companies have been talking for a, a while now about diversifying in order to attract people. So it'll be a real shift, I think, if that if that does change. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's probably the quandary. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats are both in, you know, how do you get, you know, Hispanic voters, wealthy voters, you know, um, middle America voters, white male voters, you know, how do you, what is the message that can, is there a message that can appeal to all of them? That's probably like the holy grail of marketing is being able to have a message that can appeal to all of that um, and what they're probably trying to figure out. But I think, yeah, maybe this election was a bit of a reminder, hey, there's still, you know, whatever, 60 million people out there uh, whose number one issue is not diversity and inclusion. it up for Material World in 2016. Thanks for listening. We're taking a quick break to prepare for 2017, so we'll be back on February 7th. If you're missing us in the meantime, catch up on all of our old episodes on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, or the new Bloomberg app available on Android and iOS. This episode was produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Hendrickson. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Alec McCabe. Talk to you in the new year. doing i don't know do you hear squawking <laughs> i just hear squawking what